Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show. It is episode 109, and it's a great delight to speak to you. My name is Adrian Hobart. My name is Rebecca Collins. And you are heavy with cold. And together <laughs> we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Crime. Suspense. Thrillers. And mysteries. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Our guest this week is Abby Osborne, writing as Abigail. Osborne. Yes. And uh, it's one of the, it's one of those interviews where we just had so much fun. We found a kindred spirit. Uh she speaks to us from our, her home rather in uh Worcestershire, in Worcester in fact, the city of Worcester. And uh, it was a, just a terrific interview. She's published by Bloodhound Books and psychological fiction author. Yes, and I've already recommended to anyone I've spoken to since we interviewed Abby to listen to the next podcast because it's a brilliant one. I, I I don't know what it... I mean, they're all brilliant. Of course they are, and they all have something different, but there was something very, um, I guess, that we could relate to as people and writers, and well, hopeful writers and publishers ourselves yeah. about our, what we chatted with Abby about. So Yeah, absolutely. So that's, uh, that's coming up later in the programme. Well, we want to get into the news um, as, as usual, and there's one or two things that sort of touch on stuff that we did last week. Now... Um, as uh, I discussed last week about the situation where Findaway Voices, who distribute our Hobeck audiobooks, all 12 of them so far, and indeed some of my uh, own private sort of narration work, um, have been using a clause which they added to their contracts a couple of years ago to help Apple develop artificial intelligence narration. And um, it was really <clears throat> hidden under the bonnet in the contracts, which frankly, the whole narration world was unaware of and has been very, very upset by. Uh, and I was contacted by uh, a journalist in uh, the United States uh, for Wired magazine. You were, yes. And uh, they've done a brilliant article. I don't actually, I'm not quoted in it, um, but uh, I gave them some background as to my feelings on the subject. And uh, so Wired have done a, a great article. Uh, in this week's edition, and it's headlined, Audiobook Narrators Fear Apple Used Their Voices to Train AI. And after a backlash, Spotify paused an arrangement that allowed Apple to train machine learning models on some audiobook files. Now, I have withdrawn all support for that and asked them to take it down for yes, all of the people we, who work for Hobeck. We feel very strongly about it, don't oh, we? Very, so. very. But, you know, this is the, this is the, the drift in this thing so check out that article um and uh it's been taken very seriously in the united states where the the union um for uh, audiobook narration is the labor union sag aftra 
and they represent recording artists as well as actors and other creatives. And they have uh, forced the two companies to stop using files for union members affected. And, um, and that dates back to any um, files that were being used. Now, that obviously does not bear for anybody in the United Kingdom. So if you are affected by this, please go and look at the contract. It's the very last clause in any find-away contract, and you can ask them to withdraw your tacit support, your implied, <coughs> excuse me, implied support for using your narrator's voice or indeed your own voice as part of their machine learning. Uh, because essentially what they're trying to do is put narration out of business. And that's not good. No, it's appalling. But that's the way that big tech business is going and where artificial intelligence is going as well, as we've all heard about uh, um, you know, works of literature being fed into the machine and then uh, asking the machine to come up with something similar to Jane Austen. It's getting better and better at it. Scarily so. But, Scarily so, yeah. But um, we have high hopes that, like with uh, the the fear that ebooks would completely wipe out any need for paperbacks it just won't happen it won't no not not at this time but um again it's a value proposition isn't it you know human narration comes at an enormous time consumption and effort and creativity and i've been in my studio solidly for the past two three weeks working on a contract separate to hobeck and i've got several more weeks work to do and it's been it's it's been not quite all consuming but you, you you barely see me during the daylight hours because I'm in my studio ploughing through being creative. Yeah, this, and it's a lot of work. this might sound weird, but it's been quite a quiet time. Mm. It's, also, it's almost been like I've been in the in the office by myself a lot of the time. Yeah, to, to a degree. But I mean, you know, it's 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 been very good for me in the sense of having that, you know, I have to be disciplined to do this in a sense because it is such a demanding contract. Um, although I did emerge, uh, well, two occasions I've, I've emerged pretty much in tears because uh, <laughs> three central characters got bumped off in the last book I did, the ones I loved doing the voices of. So I've got to create new voices, which is sad. And and also, I I narrated so much at one point, I came out, I couldn't speak no. pretty much. I'd given everything I had um, left for a, a battle scene that lasted an hour and a half. For you not to be able to speak was very strange. Yeah, you were going to say a good thing, but anyway, there we oh, go. Oh, would I? Okay, would let's I let's touch on some other news then. <laughs> um, there's quite a few things to talk about actually, and um, this I've only only came across today. Um, we were talking to Abby. One thing we were talking about Abby about was TikTok because yeah. Abby uses TikTok, and and she was actually offered to help us if we need any help on how to use TikTok. And I, I did use it uh, beginning of last year quite a lot, but I just stopped because I couldn't see that it was having any effect. It wasn't having a lot of traction, was it? No. So I just thought, oh, it's for the young, for the youngsters um, and gave it up. But I came across this um, news item about a thriller writer called Lloyd Devereux Richards. So this is a, a fairly elderly guy um, it was his dream. He spent 14 years writing his book. It Aww. was his dream. And um, it's had brilliant reviews. But the sales just haven't matched up to the reviews. And his daughter felt sorry for him. And she thought, what can I do about this? So she recorded a, a little 16-second TikTok video just of him sat at his desk looking a little bit sad. 
<laughs> holding his book. And it worked. Yeah. His sales went up and he she didn't tell him that she'd done this. And he just said he noticed this <laughs> Amazon ranking go sky high and thought, my dreams have come true. <laughs> oh. So it's quite sweet. And it is, sweet. it is apparently a very good book. So, you know, we were talking about this just now and you said, oh, that's pulling on the heartstrings. And Well, I guess that's, yeah, as you rightly pointed out, that's what a lot of advertising does do. Uh, and marketing. So but it, I don't it mind works. if it's a good product. No, no, and quite. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, you're right. Um, well, that's a lovely little story. Um, how about the darker side of TikTok, as I would see it? There's another story you've got. Yeah, found. so um, this was in the bookseller, and the article was looking at what how traditional publishers use TikTok, or started to use TikTok, because TikTok originally was for just for young people posting daft videos still is very much for that but um authors started using it to promote their own books and readers and reviewers people who love books were using it to promote books they would they'd read and apparently now traditional publishers are looking at who are getting the most views on tiktok in the independent author community and making them offers contracts for yeah. publishing with them and i I think that makes it makes sense, doesn't it? If they are looking for the next big thing, and there are mm. some very successful independent publishers out yeah, there, yeah, yeah, who are outpacing people published by traditional publishers by, you know, tenfold, hundredfold. Why wouldn't they do this? Well, yes, okay, they. Why wouldn't they? But why should they? And is it right? Um, I, I'm I'm pretty conflicted by this. Yeah. You know, it's again, it, you know, in a similar way to you, you've heard of quite a number of successful indies, indie authors who've sold independent of, you know, being published, you know, they do it themselves, being signed up by big publishers in recent years, uh, in recent months, in fact. And they're doing the same thing by looking at TikTok. And yes, I mean, it just stinks to me. I'm sorry, but it just does. And it, it, it feels cynical. It feels it's a shortcut for the publishers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, it is. The, you know, they don't support the ones they got. They don't allow them time to develop. They don't invest in them enough. They just go for the shortcut. And I think that's sad, really. But then, again, the author themselves, they can say no. They don't have to say yes I, to a I contract. Appreciate, I'd appreciate that, yes, I do. I think it's still, despite how successful the independent writing community is, it's still a dream of most of them, I think, to have a contract with someone oh, like HarperCollins. Well, yeah, I, I, yes, absolutely. I understand that. But isn't, this, isn't it the same phenomenon of the publishers in the last two years signing up and, and you know i'm gonna get myself in hot water here but realizing they have a diversity problem and chasing anybody diverse and publishing them isn't it the same as they're um really quite craven um drive to get celebrities to write books in different genres you know that's it's it's another extension of that same behavior Yes, because they are a business and their aim is to make money. Right. I understand that. It just stinks. I'm sorry, but it just <laughs> it's not authentic. It's not organic and it's not long-term planning and, and backing people. It is just simply jumping on the bandwagon again. 
<laughs> and so I, I, I don't find that uh, I'm not comfortable with it, as you can hear. No, and yes, I, I, I mean, I, I share your view in some respects. I think. It... I mean, you're doing a good job of explaining their the way they would be thinking. <laughs> I mean, I could, and look, none of us are stupid, you know, or naive enough not to know that's what they're thinking. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that I personally feel comfortable with it or think it's a good thing no i think if they can prove that they are putting that person's interest first you know they're thinking of helping that person find more readers it's the same with the diversity thing if they see an author with talent and they happen to be from a uh, underrepresented background and they're thinking this person's voice needs to be heard for their voice no they're that's, think- that's 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 not what they're thinking that's not what they're, that's not what the the need was when they did this. They were shamed into sorting out themselves out and getting the balance, improve the balance in, in, in terms of their authors. And that's something obviously that we need to look at too. But at the same time, um, they are, you know, they have just jumped on every bandwagon possible. I agree. In that, in that sphere. That's why I want them to prove that that, that wasn't their motive. There wasn't the bandwagon. No, it was their motive. It's just, <laughs> you know, and, and if, 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 you know, if they are genuinely going to support people and whatever else, great. But I don't get that impression. I think it's just a rush to, to, to tick boxes. I'm sorry. That's what I really think is happening for most of those major publishers. And I don't think it's doing anybody any favours, frankly. No. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. I feel very passionately about that. Um, should we get to the interview? Well, oh, or have you got another story? Well, the only other thing is, um, so the the Nibbies, the ah, uh, yes, long the... list of the Nibbies, which is actually related. Right. In let's a way. explain what they are. That's the National Book Awards in the UK. The Nibbies, is that for short? Yes. So um, they've released... and we ought to say that we have a we have a vested interest in this because we did put ourselves forward for the small press category, and. We were overlooked for the the Midlands um, area. Yeah, and we we were gutted. Uh, it was, yeah. I mean, the the sort of it was one of those things where for a few hours, uh, I had that feeling of you know what's the point? It felt really disappointing, and we'd put together a quite you know you did you put together a very imaginative submission, and you know it was disappointing because frankly the same old names turned up. Yeah, there, were, there was, uh, I think, at and least some of them, two people who were there last year on the list. And and not all of them were actually, they, they were, well, they were publishing services companies as opposed to publishers. Yeah, you see, that's, that, I don't understand why pu- people who provide publishing services as their main business can be in a category for small press. I would have thought small press would have to be traditionally published yeah and i would also question i mean you know i'm not going to name names but some of the small presses that were in that list across the country are very very big presses they're not small they've sold millions of books and they have an army of traditional uh, very established figures from big companies who've set up whatever company and they're in the small press it that, that is just a nonsense frankly mm. an absolute nonsense so yeah, okay. You just say, please don't be bitter about it. But well, it did hurt. It, it did really hurt. Did. It hurt me as well. I I remember I, I went to do the school run straight after we found out, and I was in silence most of the time because I just I was in shock almost because I thought, why? Yeah, <laughs> we're fantastic. Why? Yeah, that's <laughs> but it's hard, is it? And then you start looking at the people who did get selected and being a bit like, well, 
but their website isn't as nice as ours, or no, they haven't got no. a cat, or. <laughs> <laughs> but on the on the positive side, um, they've since also released the um, the finalists for the uh, independent bookshop, and they've got more pe- more bookshops on the list than usual, and some that we know about and we've um, encountered. So, um, book. Bookworms and Dragon Tales over in Norwich. Yes, <laughs> and Bert's Books as well, which I see yeah. a lot of activity on Facebook and um, a number of others as well. So that that was quite cheering, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no I'm not going to knock all of it, but you know, it just that was that stung actually. That yeah. really did. But we will try again next year because every time I get bashed down, I want to get up and try again. Yeah, absolutely. Care. We're going to prove people wrong. Anyway, uh, let's get to the interview. Yes, with Abby Osborne, and uh, we. We're blown away by this interview. We just loved it. And we also explained, Abby has written uh, and published a number of books with Bloodhound, uh, which are sort of standalone psychological fiction uh, novels. Great, great books. But her background, um, and she runs her own small business, uh, advising uh, particularly in the education sector, but also in in business, uh, how to... uh, make adaptations for people with disabilities and neuro neurodiversity issues. Um, and this is, you know, the, her area of expertise. So we talked a lot about that area of her, you know, experience, but also her writing methods and all sorts of things came out. And it was just one of those really fun and varied interviews. Um, and, you know, just and her writing method is, 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 I mean, I think it's the first person we've ever spoken to who writes everything in the order that she feels fits on the day. Yeah, so she follows her emotions, basically, rather than yeah, absolutely. chronologically. Yeah, no, it was really, really terrific. And um, we just had so much fun. So let's talk to Abby Osborne. What a great pleasure it is to speak to Abby Osborne. Welcome to the show. Hiya, thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for uh, for joining us, and we, we're always excited to to meet new people to us, and uh, you know, members of the author community. So, Abby, tell us um, your your journey to becoming an author. It was inspired by meeting someone else, another author, who who twisted your arm and said, "Look, you should go for it." I'm sure she didn't twist your arm, like you. No, gonna... she could have. To be fair, I I absolutely love her writing, and I would would accept any kind of interaction from her because she's brilliant. But yeah, no, I was doing book reviews originally, um, and um, I reviewed uh, um, Caroline Mitchell's um, one of her earlier novels, and she just happened to contact me and said, "Like, thank you for the review. It was really well written. Have you thought about?" writing because it is very um well written and I've never like ever considered it up until that point really um but I was actually in a job that was um it was I had loads of free time which sounds amazing but is actually really boring because <laughs> um, everybody now, all my friends were working and my husband was out at work and I was just kind of like this ghoul haunting my own house with not much to do so I just um that just sparked something and I just gave it a go and then yeah that that's that's um that led me to this which that I could never brilliant. have predicted <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Because one of our book bloggers, our regular book bloggers, I keep he he is a, he, he's an ex accountant. I don't know if he listens to the podcast, but <laughs> he writes the most amazing blogs. I think they should be in the Guardian. They're brilliant. And I keep saying, you need to write a book. Mm. So it, it can happen like that. You know, you can. Who are we talking about? Pete Fleming. Pete Fleming. I thought you meant. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah. br- brilliant. So I mean, 
when was when was that uh, exchange with uh, oh with gosh you? it'd be about um 20 2014 2015 something I thought you like could that. say 20 years ago then <laughs> oh no <laughs> no nearly <laughs> no it's um no, it was about 20, 2014, 2015, I think it would have been. Um, and yeah, I just, I've, I've always loved books. I've always read, but I've always been held back thinking, I just don't have the imagination. I wouldn't be able to do it. And it's never something that I've, I've ever thought. I, I've always thought of uh, writing as quite um, an elitist career not something anybody can just do that's what my misconception used to be that um and so um so yeah so I just gave it a try and and I'm so I'm so happy that I did but yeah it was never something I've always wanted it to be since I've grown up because I never thought I could do it so I never even entertained it do you know that's that's quite interesting that's not the first time we've heard that from a writer we've interviewed on the mm-hmm. podcast this idea that you have to be perhaps university educated anyway or just just be a certain there's an person well I think there's a there's an element of that I think there's also a uh, a geographical element as well I think a lot of people assume that you've got to be hanging out in Clapham yeah in London (laughs) um which is a reference to our our guest last week uh, in Julie Anderson who was in Clapham and leaving Clapham writers yeah but but, (laughs) but I I do think that the further away from London you get the, the the more difficult it seems to be to you know you the perception is that it'd be difficult to get published but it's getting easier now because of obviously it's so easy to self-publish now because that's what I did originally um and so um I think back like you would have to really want it to be your passion to put yourself through the rejections and pub- submitting to publishers and stuff which is why I never because I didn't know even when I wrote the first book the puppet master I didn't know it was going to be what I wanted to do as a career it was just more uh, oh I've written this book let's see what happens it wasn't that it was going to be my my job this is what I was going to do um so that's why I self-published and didn't even consider going to like the publishers or anything like that at that time but now it's got so much more accessible. I feel like it is easier to consider it as a career now. Absolutely. Well, what was that process like for you writing that first book? How, how difficult was it? So I started with just kind of like um, looking at um, things that had happened to me, like my childhood and things that I had experienced. And then it just kind of um, escalated from there and transformed and I started with this small kernel of an idea writing some recollections and then all of a sudden this this male character Adam was born and I just got this excitement I can even remember it now like this excitement sat in my chair in my kitchen just like typing these words and for me I'm a complete pantser I make it up as I go I I so I didn't know what I was going to type next and it was so exciting um and then I'd read it back and go oh so that's happened and it was just um <laughs> a really exciting process so um and um, for me I write very intensively as well um I've got um ADHD so I am um, I'm very hyper focused if I once I'm in the zone so I write extremely intensively and I will just sit there and not move and that's what I'm like with reading as well I only enjoy a book if I can sit and read it for the whole until it's finished I don't like to dip well, in and out me. yeah so it's um so I write very intensively so when I wrote the puppet master it only took me about three months to write the whole thing um because I just didn't move and did nothing else but that that's fascinating because I I I recently had diagnosis of ADD without the H bit um and so I'm with you on this I mean you know I I, it 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 is a superpower when it's harnessed but it's Mm. um it's a I I can see now what you what you're saying about having time on your hands because uh procrastination is 
you know, you're either one of two things. You're either absolutely focused and, and you know, nothing can interrupt it or you are drifting yeah, uh, with a million thoughts and nothing happening. And, uh, you know, and, and the only thing that would motivate me at that when I've had those periods is watching my watch to make sure I don't miss homes under the hammer and then bargain hunt um, <laughs> <laughs> by way of <laughs> putting some shape on my day. But that's yeah. that's that's fascinating. And um, if we could just touch on that, I mean, reflecting when, at what stage of your life did you get that diagnosis? Do you recognize that this was? Um... I do, um, I do um, work places, I, I run my own business, I don't write full time, um, and mm. I run my own business doing uh, disability assessments. So I started off doing assessments for students at university, um, if they have a disability, they can get um, support. And so I would um, kind of work out with them what support they needed. Um, so it kind of entered my field then, um, when I was doing assessments for students, but it was only really when I moved into doing it for the workplace and I start in every single ADHD assessment I did I was like hearing someone talk about my my life and so that was when I realized so I didn't because when I went to university if it wasn't a le- if the lecture wasn't about an essay I was writing I was counting the ceiling tiles or I was <laughs> playing with my Game Boy like it was I couldn't focus if it wasn't something that really grabbed me or that I needed to know and so once once I was doing all these assessments for these students in these workplace things I was like oh my god that that's me I can't do that and um and so yeah so it's later on I never because I because I was one of the people that for ADHD was just you can't sit still but I didn't realise that there's the impulsivity, the inattentiveness, like and um, the, the inattentive type, which is what what I have got. So, um, so yeah, so it was later for me. Absolutely. Oh gosh, you, 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 the, the echoes are. are <laughs> I used to sit in lectures yeah. next to university and try and count the dots on a tile. Or... I used to play squares. I used to imagine. Did you? <laughs> yeah, do you know that game? Yeah. Where you, you draw a line. You've got the dots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I used to think if I were to join the dots on that tile what would it create is it you know so I did join the dot while you know they were blathering on about the first century AD um you know Roman religion or something and I just be yeah it's it is an extraordinary thing when you find out and it explains everything doesn't it and especially what you're talking about the impulsivity I think this is something that I really have um since I found out I've been a lot less impulsive there's still elements of that but but I've got myself in scrapes and all sorts of things just because I'm impulsive um and it's it is an extraordinary thing so to you know channeling that hyper focus it's still not an easy thing to uh manufacture if you like in the sense that when you're now you're you're you know uh we're going to talk this about this later I'm sure but on your website you're talking about how you would like to be mm. more a writer mm. than a small business owner and, and mm. trying to drive yourself that way. It still puts a lot of pressure on you as a person with ADHD mm. to fulfill that promise to yourself and get the focus on a regular basis. How, how do you do that? Yeah, it is really hard. Um, because now it's cause writing when I first did it and I did the first book it was there was no obligation it was something I was doing because I was passionate about it but now I'm doing it because there's an expectation there's a deadline and so I, I do find it hard and I do procrastinate um and so the only way I've got over that is just through the dead the pressure of the deadline <laughs> so I write extremely intensively as soon as the deadline gets to the point where I start to feel the fear and then my productivity just flies through the roof. Um, but so, yeah, so that's the only way I found to do it is to set a concrete deadline. And um, and that then engineers that urgency for me. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, it, it, it works. Well, it, it? works. It, it works on him. I know that. Mm. Yeah. Like yeah. If you a deadline, you do it. <laughs> yes, that's true. I, I do need that because I can't impose my own. And I, I used to have this thing at university where I would have essay crisis every term. And I would literally get to within three days of having to hand in four pieces of work and only start working on them with three days to go. Uh, and I'd be on the Pro Plus and staying up all night. And I had a, I used to keep a scoreboard on my door in my first year. <laughs> So that people, you know, A, knew not to disturb me, but also I told them how many essays I've got through it. It became a sort of feature. Everyone would sort of figure out where I was in the in the process. And I would always be the, you know, literally a minute to go putting those essays in the yeah. in the pigeonholes. So, yeah, it's, it is it is blessing and a curse, I guess. It's a superpower, it is, isn't yeah. it? You're using it as your superpower mm. in a way because you recognise that it's an issue that you have, but you're using it to achieve things. Yeah, because I think you do have to have an element of hyper-focus to be able to produce that volume of words as well, because it is a lot of words. So, um, and so yeah, so I, it does help me in that respect to, especially I find at the beginning, it takes me a while, but then once I get into the zone of the story, I can really kind of unleash that hyper-focus and just go with it. That's terrific. And um, in terms of your relationship with your publishing, now you're published by Bloodhound. Yes. Um, do they have you had that discussion with them to explain that's your your way of operating that you know if if it's going to an editor that they're going to get it you know it won't be it'll be later rather than sooner that kind of thing um yeah they're really flexible with me to prefer because um i do have um uh, autoimmune condition as well so i have to have these nasty treatments every 6 months so i they're quite flexible with me like if i needed a little bit of extra time they'll help with that um so yeah so but i do kind of work with them and say look i need you to give me a deadline an exact day <laughs> that you need an exact day and time <laughs> so um so yeah but no they are they are really supportive in that respect to be fair that's terrific that's terrific so when um you got going and and you self-published first what was that experience like because uh oh, very impulsive yeah well <laughs> as no, i look I know, back I know. on it now i have i i could produce a guide on how not to self-publish a book i think because i um wasted so much money i bought 10 isbn numbers because somebody said that was better than just getting one um so i now have eight left for no reason whatsoever <laughs> um i um chose the first editor i saw i didn't do any research i didn't know what i was doing i was basically no, walking around in the way. dark going yes that sounds like a good idea let's do that and so it was a very um yeah it was a very stressful time um but um I managed to cobble it together and get get like a cover and uh I just wish that I'd spent more money in different areas like on more than one edit and things like that things I know now um but I didn't really know at the time uh, but it was all part of the learning curve is what I think but I still have to give myself some credit because it did go really well and that's how I got noticed by Bloodhound just because I self-published it and then I put it on special offer for the weekend before I went to Harrogate Crime Writing Festival um and it went up to like number it went up into like the charts it was like I think it was like number 10 in the entire free Kindle store at one point so I know it was amazing so I did really well with it I was like um I think how much money I'd have made if people had actually bought it though (laughs) (laughs) we we go through that as well when we do special deals we think it's only that was full price (laughs) I know I was like oh man um but yeah so it went really well and that got me noticed and that's when I met the publisher at Bloodhound and they'd seen it because obviously it had been quite visible from that so um so I didn't do too bad but there's a lot of things I wish I could have done differently and I don't I feel like there's so much information like so many people telling you how to self-publish what to do that it can be so overwhelming to know 
what what you should be doing like there's not a meth clear math method so and my advice to anyone self-publishing would be just to research and make sure you like don't just impulsively choose people you like do your proper research and take your time with it yeah no I think that's right yeah and I think I think you know even when you're signed up it it, it is um it, it's an evolving situation and and one thing that works any given week doesn't work the next and also different authors as well and different mm. books and yeah. different genres so yeah. so, so many different levels so that level of research and adaptability i think i think it applies really when you know no matter what uh you know platform or or method you're, you're getting to publication you still have to sort of keep your eye on the on where things are going i think um, i wasn't looking at it as a business when i was doing it i was doing it i've written this book let's see what happens it wasn't something i was going to do as a career so that's why i didn't like be very I wasn't very methodical with it and didn't think for, for the future either I was just thinking oh I'm just going to publish this book see what happens like it wasn't uh oh I'm going to be an author now so I think that mm. informed what many of the decisions I made mm. yeah and creatively how did that you know that experience how's that fed into what you do now and, and the, me- the method that you use um in terms of like my writing do you mean yes or... yeah yeah um yeah, I, I, my writing process is pr- from when I first wrote that book is pretty much the same. I still make it up as I go along. I tried to plot for this book I'm doing now, and then I ended up coming up with seven different endings and just sitting on the kitchen floor having a paddy because I was like, I just can't decide which one's the best. So for me, it's just um, I've realised I work best if it's just completely organic and it just what what I write is what I write and it just comes out. It's it's just. I don't know what I'm going to type next and that's what I love about it so that's what I need to keep doing that's quite interesting isn't it because I think that the plotters out there Mm. like us to think that their method is the best one but it not necessarily is for different people it probably is helpful because there is times that I'm sat there thinking come on inspiration strike (laughs) where are you going what are you doing that like um so it can be quite difficult when you don't know where to go because it is a big like you do have to really focus and really think about like you just got to unleash your creativity and that means being in the right mindset and kind of thing whereas if you have an idea where it's going that you've got prompts so to speak whereas my prompts are being made up as I go I think the best thing to do is get in the car and drive somewhere because Mm. that's when your mind suddenly goes oh I've got a great idea (laughs) yeah mine's normally when I go to sleep I then at like 3 a.m. have that that idea that I should have that I should have gone, oh, I could go that direction. So I've just got loads of garbled notes on my phone that I have to decipher in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I think 3 a.m. any night, 3 a.m. There's a whole load of artists <laughs> and writers and uh, musicians. Yeah. They're all lying in bed going, Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Well, do you know definitely. what? There's a there's a scope for you social club. network on that, isn't it? 3 a.m. Club. club, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely um oh. no that's fascinating i mean it, it it is it is i mean i'm glad that they're flexible around deadlines for various reasons mm. as we've already explained it's like us yeah we are fairly flexible <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah have another year to write it um that kind of thing but it it, it is uh it, it is interesting that um there's a positive and negatives there i mean we, we, we're talking about you know that wish sometimes and i'm the same because of of, of the add that you know, if I'm writing and it's flowing, it's absolutely the best feeling in the world. Yeah. But if you then the next day you approach it and it's just not going to happen and you don't know where it's, you know, A, you don't know what, what direction you're going in, but actually yeah. you just don't know w- w- where to go with the next scene. And 
that can be that can be distressing. That's the point where I get jealous of the plotters. Yeah, <laughs> I can understand that. I think that's why I don't write in order, which because I kind of when I start writing, I have like a I normally have like because I don't have like a whole story or the characters. I normally have something I want to explore, like with Save Her, my second one. I wanted to look at friendship and I knew it was going to be these two women who were friends and kind of like the the dangers of of obsessive friendship so I knew that was where I was going but I had no that was it that's all I knew so I tend to just write random things that occur to me I'm a very emotional writer so if I'm in I'm in a mood or argument with my husband I'll write something really dark or like (laughs) (laughs) or if I'm really happy I'll write a lighter scene so I just jump about um so I use Scrivener so I can write out of order because I can't write it I I don't think I've ever come across anyone who doesn't who writes out of order I love that idea. I just write no, what I, I feel I, and then I piece it all together later wow that is that's fascinating like a jigsaw yeah so if I'm because I kind of I feel like sometimes I'll be like oh I've got this idea for I'll have like a sudden uh light bulb moment of oh this would be good to do at the end and then I'll just be like oh do you know what I'll write something action wise because I feel like writing something like that so I, I write for my emotions and I feel like that's makes my it more enjoyable because um, that's the mood I'm in so I can capture that in the writing I hope <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, what about the edit though I mean at, at what stage oh, so this is the this is the stage I'm at now so I've written the first draft of this book and I mm. now have to read it back through because obviously I've never read it in order and I've had to jump I've used Scrivener to put it all into order and now I have to spend time adding the filler scenes so that it actually makes sense and connects up and move things around so it does mean that my second draft edit stage is a lot longer because it's not just a case of reading it through it's mm. a case of connecting the scenes and making sure it like flows properly and um so yeah so it does mean that my edit takes longer but I just I can't write in chronological order it just it stunts me I can't I like to just mm. write what I feel like I can't do it in order yeah because I guess you'd lose that writing time if you were mm. there battling to do the, the next obvious thing that, yeah. that comes in the story uh you wouldn't write anything because it wouldn't mm. you know because it's a it's a it's a dark scene but you're happy yeah so you can't write exactly it, so. yeah that's what it, exactly that's what it is for me yeah I have to be in that mood to write that scene and if I'm not I'll just sit there and play on TikTok <laughs> well I, I don't know if you share my frustration with because I, ha- I you know I proudly have uh well it's more than a shelf now because they're stacked up on top of each other um of all the books recent books and some of the the classics about structure and plotting and all that stuff um that you know there's a lot of people out there much like the self-publishing industry which tells you that you know if you follow these maxims that we say you should do you will be successful um it doesn't necessarily follow that way it's the same thing with the plotting and the structure Mm. side of things there are lots of books out there that say uh, for certain types of side of brain, it must make sense. And people can input that thing into Scrivener, create uh, 40 or 50 sort of scene cards and just go and, and make that thing happen. Yeah. Um, but for for those of us who, who are jump around brains, that stuff is very hard to absorb and, and then act on, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think it just... Um... I feel like it just restricts me and I just just I can't do that I've got all those books that you've mentioned I probably have bought nearly every single book on writing and I think I tried to use the save the cat one and I just couldn't Mm. get my head around it I was just like I just can't it's just too 
the more I feel like the more I try and um, forensically investigate the process, the harder it becomes. I think for me, I just need it to be a natural, organic thing and then work with my editor to make it more yeah. structured do you know what i mean like yeah i think you need with to them. employ a third yeah. party structured brain who yeah who can see exactly the, yeah yeah but it's more like homework then isn't it yeah exactly yeah if you, and i feel like as well with some of these there's a danger that people are writing for um to a to a structure and they're thinking about what's going to sell and they're not thinking about the story they want to tell it they need to rewrite what comes from the heart not you need to write this because it's going to save the cat or whatever it is that it's supposed to do. <laughs> you, For those of those who are unaware of it, yeah. it's Blake Snyder's Save the Cat, which was a, yeah. which is the, one of the seminal books. He was a it Hollywood is, yeah. screenwriter, now passed away, but his um, it was about uh, yeah the, the the Hollywood approach to structuring a story and and uh, what, and then you have to there's a, there's hit a, beats, don't you? Like yeah, by this, you it. have to hit those beats and stuff. And that's and a, that's a very common theme that now mm. a lot of the, the structures talk about the beats mm. but you know you can see that in a movie mm. there are certain moments you know the inciting incident at the beginning of the movie yeah. which sets up the rest of the story mm. the halfway point which is the the point where everything you know can never be the same again yeah and the hero has to commit to uh seeing this through to the end with dire consequences three quarters of the way in that looks like everything's lost <laughs> and you know so yeah. yeah i've absorbed that much yeah i think for some people it does work they've got the ideas but they need that structure to help them get it out but for me it just it doesn't work i i don't like to be told what to do <laughs> no, <laughs> i just want knows. my brain tells me what to do it's like today Amen we're gonna to write that. this <laughs> mm. but i think there's a reader as well you can you you, you want to be told a story mm. you're reading it because you want to be told a story and you don't necessarily want a story that ticks all the boxes of how a story should be yeah you want to yeah. feel the writer's emotion and, and exactly well it's an interesting thing because i mean you're writing psychological fiction and there, that is a genre which is, I, I, I would suggest is, and especially in domestic settings that we're, we're dealing with here, a relatively new genre. I mean, sort of the thing that has dominated publishing for the last five or six years. It has, yeah, yeah, um, and probably been going for about ten. I mean, you know, you could probably look at sort of Patricia Cornwell or someone like, not Patricia Cornwell. Um, I'm thinking of um, Highsmith. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> who Patricia Highsmith, who did suspense books, and and you know you could probably retrofit that title onto her some of hers. Yeah, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. Yeah, and, and, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but in terms of a thing, it, you know, there are certain reader expectations when people pick up a book. Mm. Um, with this, you know, uh, your books have com- covers which are right on genre. If you if you yeah. don't mind me saying, yeah, definitely. Um, they pick it up and they have a certain expectation that they're going to get a girl on a train or. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and therefore they have certain beats they're expecting to Definitely experience. Think they are, though. I, I think, I think, I think a lot of readers are, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> We're going to argue now. Cause I, I think, I don't think they are thinking, Oh, it's going to have. Uh, what you ever use no, I don't, think I don't think they're conscious of the beats, but they're kind of expecting a certain structure of, I think it's all to do with this twists thing, isn't it? Yes. Like all the advertising is twist you won't see coming. So they're waiting for a twist they won't see coming. 
There were, oh, no. I think there's Page a turning unputdownable gripping. Yeah, yeah well, we, we're guilty of doing that too. I mean, you know, but it works. That... So you've got to do what works, don't you? Well, totally. I mean, there is a there is a genre expectation on an yeah. Amazon blurb page for it to mm. say, you know, full of gripping and full of twists. A twist mm. you won't expect at the end. There yeah. always has to be. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, looking at that then, um, and your methodology, uh, you know, if, if if we can describe that, but you know, the way that works for you. Let's put it, let's mm. describe it that way. Um, does that way that you write, you know, following Moon and, and jumping around in, within the, the arc of the story, does that naturally lend itself to creating those twists? Because you don't know what's coming next, coming, you know, going to appear on the screen. Yeah, it does. Yeah, because I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, so, yeah, so I'm kind of just as surprised. And um, yeah, I think it's um, I tend to look at I'm, I'm looking at um, like uh emotions and I'm thinking about I want to get this across and then excited things just seem to happen as I'm writing it um so yeah I just um I like to surprise myself as well um with that so I try, I try and write the book I would love to read that's what I always try and do mm. Mm. but do you think that that's a more natural twist then because sometimes yeah. you read a book and the unexpected twist comes and you think yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it does make it harder though, because obviously I've got to try and like because I'm making up as I go along. Sometimes you've got to you've got to be like, is that actually like exciting enough? Could I make this more exciting <laughs> and things? So um it can be a little bit hard to be objective when you know you know the end. <laughs> and you're like, how they're gonna see this through. And then with with um the save her, like a lot of people messaged me and said they couldn't have predicted the ending. I'm like, really? I thought it was really obvious, but that's because I knew <laughs> I'd written it, so it's hard to be objective with twists and stuff like that sometimes. Yeah, that's so true. You've got to trust, you, trust yourself, I think. Yeah. Do you, do you have to retrospectively put in red herrings or uh, breadcrumb information that's going to be significant uh, later on because you've done it out of out of sequence? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that's what that's why my second edit takes so long because I have to go back and just kind of connect it all and make sure it flows and stuff. And because I'm writing so out of sync and I'm absolutely useless at taking notes or anything, I, I'm very like all I do is write and then I have to spend ages like writing down everyone's hair colour and then going <laughs> back through and fixing it because they've had like seven different hair colours as I've gone through, depending on what mood I'm in. Um <laughs> so it's just and everybody's name changes because that's as we talked about before, I don't, don't, I'm not very good at names. So <laughs> I, I'm like, oh no, I don't like that name anymore. I'm going to change it. <laughs> and so, uh, so it does take me a lot longer because I'm having to go back and kind of make, look for consistency because I am not writing it in any order. So does that still, are they still wearing that when they're doing that and stuff? And then obviously adding things to make my ending fit. So I'm probably doing it a very more stressful, long-winded way, but it's the only way that, that works for me. I can't do it any other way. No, that's fascinating. I, in terms of, um, uh, the, the coming up with names because that's something that <laughs> I I I I take I, I I don't spend a lot of time doing it. I I when I'm sat there and I I know I've got a character that I need mm. to play a certain role, and mm. you know you know at that stage it's not going to be a major one, but no. suddenly a name will just pop in and it works yeah. into my head, uh, and I won't have gone through the phone book such oh. as it is anymore uh like people used to yeah uh, i won't be looking at the bookshelf to look at all the names that could that's a good fit. idea yeah it is a good one that. isn't it <laughs> yeah i use the random name generator on scrivener but then i get so distracted and spend ages <laughs> looking up like polish names for no reason whatsoever just to see what they are 
So it's uh, it can be a yeah. bit of a wormhole that. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, I sometimes think it, I, I, it's similar to the mood thing that you were talking about in terms mm. of the type of scene, the type of name I'm going to come up with is going to suit the mood at the time. And um, I, I, yeah, and then then I have the debate, which is, am I going to refer to them by their surname throughout the book or am I going to yeah, use their first name? Yeah. And then, then that's another conundrum. So then I start getting mm. twisted about that. So. <laughs> I have a funny story to do with names on The Good Husband. My mum has is a nurse and she works um, in a hospital and she was telling me about one of her friends at the hospital. It's called Adina. And I was like, oh, I love that name. Could I use it in my book? And so she asked her friend and she was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. So I was like, oh, this is brilliant. But then my mum spent the entire time going, hey, what are you doing to Adina? You can't hurt Adina. And I'm, you can't you can't kill Adina. Like, you can't do anything bad to Adina because she's my friend at work. Like, she's going to be really upset if you... And I'm like, mum, it's a psychological thriller. You did tell her that, right? Like, it's a thriller. Like, bad things happen in thrillers. So, uh, so I said, I'm never using anybody's name again. I know because that was so stressful. She made me feel, like, real stressed, like... That with when I was writing, I had it in the back of my mind going, you can't do anything bad to Adina. <laughs> no, you can't. It's funny, though, because I think people actually quite like the idea of being the ba- mm. the baddie or being yeah. murdered. So one of our authors ran a competition to that um, to provide the name of the woman who gets killed at the beginning of the book. And loads of people wanted either them <laughs> or their wives or their mothers yeah. to oh, be brilliant. this person. <laughs> oh, I'll use one of those next time then, because that was so stressful. <laughs> Um, in terms of you know you, you're saying quite rightly it's the, it's a genre where bad things happen to people yes how bad do they get I mean do you, do you, what's I'm the... getting quite dark now yeah, I've started off quite like not that dark and quite reserved and I think with with Save Her um it's more of a it's less less dark than the, than the good husband and the one I'm writing now but with Save Her I feel like it took me a long time to write it because it was with the first one because a lot of it it was my first one and it was quite raw there was only two characters <laughs> and it was very like simple like and it was quite raw I think that's what had its appeal so I got quite in my head with Save Her because I wanted to explore challenge myself so I wanted to have like a whole family and more characters I wanted to set it somewhere I'd never lived and but then I got a lot in my head like oh are people not going to like this because it's not as raw as that one um and so I feel, I feel like I was really in my head and I was writing for the reader not for myself with that one a bit and so I did struggle with that whereas with The Good Husband I just went for it I wrote what I wanted to write I just went where it took me and I didn't even want to think about like anything like that and I really enjoyed writing the dark scenes which I don't know what that says about me because I <laughs> thought they were the best things like I wrote I loved them I was like this is so exciting um, <laughs> and, but it's gone quite it has gone quite dark in The Good Husband with like um some of the things that um like um He's got people like kneeling on rice and things to kind of like punish them. So there's quite a few things. And then with this one I'm doing, it seems to be um, quite like that as well. But I, um, yeah, I I feel like that's what I enjoy writing now. Like I like to kind of go like write things like that. And that's like what I like to read as well. So kneeling on rice. It's really painful. Yeah, but I do it all the time when I'm sweeping the kitchen floor. Yeah, but then you see that that, that would be the same as standing on Lego. <laughs> oh, standing on Lego. Yes. That is, yes. that's, you know, no, that's too bad. I'd walk across hot coals, but I wouldn't consider 
walking mm. across a, a you know a twenty foot length of Lego. No, That's not happening. No. You've got two boys. You must have stood on lots oh, of God, Lego. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> I, I learned my swear words as a result of mm. treading on Lego. We had yeah. a cat who used to take the Lego out the cat flap and leave it in the garden. And the, <laughs> my, I've got three boys. They used to get so cross. Because <laughs> oh, you go in the garden, you'd find like random Lego, oh, bits of Lego so all over funny. the grass. Oh, that's very that. odd. I don't know what she, why she very did that. <laughs> Let's talk about cats. Because okay. this program, we always talk about cats. And you've got Fair enough. two. I do, um, yeah. Now, it, it seems to me that we've got a number of authors who have cats as well. And th- th- they're actually very important to their creative process. Do your cats... Into, <laughs> do they do that thing of jumping in your lap while you're trying to type? Oh, you're trying to type with a cat crawling you know, over your You know, with a tail arms. in, in yeah, front of your eyes. Yeah, so they do do that sometimes. But my cats are quite the reason. My cats are the reason I got a dog because they don't love me anymore. They've got old. Oh. They just don't like. I'll be like Lulu, and she'll just walk off in the opposite direction. She gives me this foul look, and then just walks yeah. off. They've got really old and grumpy. So um, they occasionally will come and um, if I'm on the, they tend to do it if I'm doing anything by hand. My cats love pens. So if I've got a pen, then they're all over me. That's that's the only time I get any affection. Um, and um, they, they attack my pens. But no, they're quite, they're quite, one of the poppies, she just sleeps all the time. I'm not sure how she's not fat because she just does nothing. She just sleeps <laughs> all day, every day. But she's like super skinny. It's really unfair. Um, and then Lulu, she just spends most of her time outside. But yeah, only if I get a pen that that they're interested. So when I do like print it out, then they're all over me because they want to buy well, it. I, I, it. I, I, here's my theory: is that I think that I could write dark scenes much easier if the cat is glowering at me because they, <laughs> um, I was uh, I was listening to a podcast the other the other week um, about it's the the rest is history podcast one of the most popular in the country mm. and they were talking about um the persecution of the cathars down in uh, the carcassonne Languedoc area of france at this sort of uh, uh you know catholic church pogrom against uh, people who were regarded as heretics and one of the things that they used to put out there as a a, a piece of uh, disinformation you know the uh, uh false news or whatever uh, of a medieval variety was that the Cathars would kiss the bottom of a cat because that cats were <laughs> were the, the animals of Satan. Um, and this was the, the way to commune uh-huh. with the devil. Um, and I kind of get that with our cat occasionally, uh, that she can sour my mood very, very quickly and put me in that place where I'm doing evil things to evil pe- to, 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 to good people like in, me. in writing. Yeah. No. <laughs> and in life. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that, if that, <laughs> yeah, but you, you, at all. <laughs> you have a very odd relationship with the cat. He has a very strong love hate. Mm. So he either <laughs> hates her. Like, like this morning, uh, like, got to wash the bedding because the cat has been on it for ten minutes. Oh right. <laughs> or, she's asking for food, but she's got food. Ugh, cat. But when she went missing, she went missing during lockdown. She got stuck oh, up a tree, yeah. but we didn't know it to start with. She just went yeah. missing. He was distraught. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do love my cats. I wish they were just more cuddly. We used to have two male cats and you could literally pick Bobby up by his back legs and he wouldn't care. Like you could just manhandle him. But Poppy and Lulu, they're so like you can't pick them up. They have to come to you. It's all yeah. on their terms. It's very frustrating. Yeah. I and think some, that's a female male thing. They would and they bully me as well. Me and Jamie will just be walking by and then all of a sudden Lulu's paw will just come out and she'll go Whoosh! and just hit us with her paw. Like as we're walking past, like how dare you walk down this corridor? <laughs> 
Wow. So, um, so yeah, they're not as um, it's, I think it's age. Maybe they just got yeah, really grumpy in their old age because they are like eight now. So they are quite old ladies, but yeah, they just got really grumpy. Yeah. Well. Oh, well, cat. What she said. Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. She is very grumpy. Yeah. yeah. She's grumpy. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, tell us about the dog that's Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, Ozzy Osbourne, yes. Uh, oh, yeah, he's the reason, like, because obviously the cats weren't cuddling me and I had to isolate in all of lockdown. I couldn't even go do the shopping or anything. So um, we got him during the lockdown and I actually was terrified of dogs. I was a massive cat person and it's my husband that's always wanted one. Um, and then with the pandemic, his job and my job have both gone permanently from home. So I finally said, right, okay, let's try. So we got a puppy and um it's the best thing i've ever done he's my best friend it's great it's um yeah. it's lovely yeah, and it's i, I think I'm, I'm i'm due to see my um diabetic specialist and i'm sure she said get a dog so you're out there exercising every mm. day yeah I'm just sure just help with our neighbors have got one we can do. he's yeah. really good with the cats as well which is good because we looked we did loads of research on what breeds were good with a cat because um. we didn't want because we didn't want obviously him to um annoy the cats but they're really good with him to be fair Lulu bullies him if anything she sits halfway upstairs so he can't come up because if he comes up she'll hit him so she's um she <laughs> rules the roost in this house Lulu to be honest oh, <laughs> okay Cavapoo it is then yeah yeah uh, no no that's fascinating and I, I wanted you know as small business owners we wanted to touch on this because um you've you've written about how challenging it is no one tells you just how demanding it's going to be and how all-consuming it is and that you know we say amen to that because I was in a traditional you know public service sector job in the BBC 25 years and now uh, running our own business and I just didn't expect it to be 24-7 like it is it's so hard and that's again I took I published um the puppet master in 2016 or 15 oh god my brain um and then I didn't actually publish save her until um a few, it took me three years because I opened my own business because I thought oh I was as a centre manager as a company but I had no time for writing so I thought well if I go freelance and run my own business I'll have loads of time to write that is not <laughs> the case that is not the case that fear about where your next paycheck is going to come from dominates your entire life yeah. and the fact that you, you you just can't switch off like I tried everything I split my I've got a work phone and so I don't have everything on my personal phone but then somehow my work phone goes everywhere with me so that was pointless like it is so hard to um to run your own business it is hard and even as an author as well to try and make money as being an author is incredibly difficult because it is such a saturated market and it's real hard to make a big splash so um it's going to take a while for me to be able to earn enough money that I could pull back back on my other business um but yeah it's it's really difficult to to run your own business but I've got better work-life balance now I've um really worked on myself and what's important to me and so I carve out time for my writing now and I will pull back on my my other job and not let it consume me as much as it did and I think I just trying to remind myself a lot that this is what I want to do so I need to invest time in it so I have like protected time for writing now which is which I never had before and how does your husband deal with that um in in what way just well it's it's you know because carving out time means you're you know in, in a way personally whenever I would feel that way about you know I've got to carve out some time to do writing or yeah. whatever it might be it feels you know part of me is feeling I'm being a bit selfish here yeah I mean, because it, it it feels 
you know, if you flip it around, you can see it as being a little self-indulgent. It's not actually running a business. It's not making, you know, it is no, making not, something, yeah. but it's, it's, it's something less yeah. tangible. Yeah. Than... I think he just knows how hungry I am for it. So he's quite, he is actually really supportive to be fair with that. And luckily with my business, it, it is doing really well. So I can financially, it doesn't hit us if I pull back. Um, so, um, but yeah, and he's absolutely massively into video games. So he's quite happy when I go off to uh, yeah. him because it means he can play video games without me moaning for attention. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah, he's like, that. didn't you have some writing to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's a good balance. That's does he balance. does he read your books? No. So we, this is a bone of contention. Um. So I didn't mind at first because he has very severe dyslexia, so he doesn't read really. Um. He'll do audio books every now and then, but his preferred genre is sci-fi. So it, he doesn't watch. He won't watch any crime dramas or anything with me. Um because of that um that's his preferred genre so he he hasn't read them um they're not in audiobook at the moment that I think that's in progress so he couldn't really listen to them so I've kind of let him off but I'm getting to the stage now where I'm like I think you could just maybe re- read at least one of them maybe <laughs> so we do have that him. conversation yeah you could read them too oh, no I could it. never do that no could never do that because <laughs> I'm you the thing is I don't know if you know I cannot read my books because I'll just be like I tried it I had to do a reading and I was just I wanted to change everything I was yeah. like I could have worded that so much better so it would just I would just be preoccupied by that I wouldn't be able would, to would, uh, when you're doing the edit and, and rereading stuff do you sorry I'm going to just kill Rebecca's microphone she's got a cold at the moment oh bless her um, I shall carry on um but in terms <laughs> of um you're right love uh do you ever read it aloud when you're writing? Because I mean, I, I find that incredibly useful. Yeah, this is something I've recently learned. I find it so cringy, but I have, um, from my last edits, I've realised that I am absolutely ridiculous at using the same word. I think, and I also like to rhyme and I don't realise. So I think I'd written <laughs> something like, she fell through the door onto the floor <laughs> and yeah. stuff. And it's just lots of rhyming. And then I was trying to describe somebody having their face right next to someone else. And I was like, he had his nose next to his nose so that their noses were nose to nose and I was like so and hadn't even (laughs) twigged until I got the edits back and then so so for this edit I am actually reading it aloud to myself and um I use um I normally use a Mac but the Windows read aloud the voice actually does intonation now so it sounds like an actual person so I'm using that to read aloud because she sounds more human than any, because obviously I know all the software and stuff to, can read aloud to you through my job. Um, mm. But she's got the best voice out of all of them and it's free in the read aloud in Word um, if you've got the Windows 11. And she sounds amazing. So I'm actually using her or I'll sometimes, if I'm on my own, I'll read it aloud. But yeah, I did not realise how um, useful that was until recent, until recently. And mm. um, it's made a huge difference and tightened. It just tightens it up because you can be quite wordy, can't you? But yep. when you read it out loud, you automatically shorten it, don't you? So it helps to with that. And also you notice when you're rhyming and using the same word seven times. <laughs> My heart's fallen through the floor as a narrator that uh, now <laughs> read aloud is 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 effective as well. No, don't it's worry. not like it's still robotic, but and it's, it <laughs> yeah, will never no, be human. But it yeah. is more impressive than a lot of the ones out there. To be fair, sure, sure enough, sure enough. Right, I think it is time, Abby, <laughs> for us oh, to man. get to the, the the moment of the week. 
highlight for many people, I feel. Low light for many people, too. <laughs> probably, probably. And that, of course, is Rebecca's random question. Love it. Okay, so it was Valentine's Day this week. So my yes. question relates to Valentine's Day. Have you ever had an anonymous Valentine's card that you've never found out who it's from? I I haven't. I wish I had. No, I don't wish I had because I, I would want to know and it would plague me for the rest of my life that I wouldn't know. <laughs> that would drive me to distraction. Um, So I'm quite glad actually that I haven't. But no, I haven't had um a Valentine's Day card. Um, But my husband did get something through the post this week. It was like a bag full of, looked like turmeric powder in an, in a jiffy bag. It's, this is so strange, right? So mm-hmm. it was addressed to him. And inside this jiffy bag, this envelope, you know, like a padded envelope, was just this clear, clear plastic baggie with a tissue covered in this this orange powder. And um, and we don't know. And there was no note. And the powder didn't smell of anything because I thought maybe it was turmeric, uh, but it didn't smell of slice or anything. So that was really weird. Um, and then the next day he got a, a card through the post um, and it said, it was a card and it had Merry Christmas on it and no writing on it in the card, just Merry Christmas printed on it and all that powder again through the post. So <laughs> that's his Valentine's. He's got some stalker out there. We, we have no idea who sent this to him and why. There's no note, nothing. Like, it was really that's creepy. So creepy. Isn't it creepy? That's really I creepy. Like, I could understand if they'd sent it to you. You write all those crazy books. I was like, <laughs> oh, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> so, wow. uh, so yeah. So, so, how weird is that? And we have no idea. And we're actually dreading the post every day now. Luckily, we didn't get anything yesterday. So, hopefully, they've stopped now. But it is so weird. We have no idea what the powder was and who sent it because there was no note but it went from being it was weird when we got the first one but then when we got the second one with the card that was creepy yeah and the the postmark said they'd sent it on the 11th of february so it's very bizarre well to to quote sir michael kane you can use the difficulty and this feels like the inspiration for your next book book. well that's what i was thinking yeah (laughs) but it was just a bit of a weird one like why would you just send some orange powder to someone it just makes no sense to me I don't think anyone would believe it in a book. <laughs> well, no, because it's just too yeah. random and bizarre. Isn't it? Isn't it? Like, it's so funny that things in life you couldn't actually put in a book, could you? Because nobody would believe it. Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Have you ever so, had an anonymous Valentine's uh, Day? No, no. I mean, yeah. well, do you yeah, remember? I mean, I, when, I, when I finally went to a mixed school at 16, having been in an old boys' school, um, I mean, because clearly that wasn't relevant. We didn't give each other Valentine's <laughs> too often, especially in the eighties, where you know, everyone was homophobic. Yes, no, um, definitely not. It, <laughs> uh, when I went to sixth form college, I, you know, there was this thing we used to have the the, the, the proverbial letterbox thing that you yeah, put your Valentine's yeah. in and then get distributed around. And I think the most I ever got was three. Um, That's and, impressive. You know, there were some I've... blokes getting twenty twenty five cards wow. and you're thinking wow geez what i lived it? up in cumbria it wasn't really a big deal up there like no i think it's a very, I mean, really a very cambridge phenomenon mm. in terms of and they were very and the ones i got were incredibly artistic in terms of you know someone had gone to the trouble of writing you know nice poems or something like that oh you know, that's nice or 
you know, putting some some carefully chosen Shakespeare aphorisms in there or something like that. You know, you're thinking, oh, my God, how pseudo is this person? I, I don't think I really want to know who who, who she is. <laughs> I'm not very good at being sentimental. My cards are things like I said, I got Jamie one. It says that if you were eaten by a dinosaur, I'd miss you. <laughs> 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 I'm not very good at being sentimental. I go for the funny ones all the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, his his for me had a cat's bottom on it with a heart, and Love this is before it. I knew about the devil worship thing. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidence? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he, he, well, I, I gave you a card this, and I went to a lot of trouble because actually, you know, I don't like to make make. I'm not a crafty person, but I did this week. Yeah, he made me a Valentine's card with glitter and everything. Oh, and plectrums, and plectrums nice. guitar plectrums to make a flower. Oh, that is oh, so lovely. Cute. My, yeah, my, like my husband doesn't believe in Valentine's Day. So I said, you've got to get me something for Valentine's Day. So I put something um, on my phone. I put a necklace in the basket and then I used his finger to press pay now. So I think <laughs> that that counts as him getting me a Valentine's Day present. <laughs> I love that. That is super. I try that. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, t- tell us uh, what, what what we can expect next from you, um, writing wise. You've said a yes, good, the so, good husband. Yeah, so the good husband was published um, last year, and right. so my next one, um, I'm just finishing the edit for, so I'm submitting that to my publisher on the 27th of February, and that should be published um, in I think July August time, hopefully. Um, so yeah, so hopefully that will be, um, and it's another it's another psychological thriller, um, and um, I have a name, but I'm not very good at names, as I've said a few times. So normally yeah. gets changed. So um, so I'm not sure what the name will be at the moment. But it's quite. It's more. Th- this was quite actiony because I was concerned with the good husband that it was a few of the reviews said oh it was quite slow to get started so I was like right I will remedy that um <laughs> so this one it's quite action based so um it follows a man whose wife has been kidnapped um. So, yeah, so and so it's just like trying to work out who's behind it and stuff like that. So that's what that one is about. So it's more of I would say it's probably um, kind of an action based psychological full of this one. I've really tried to to ramp up the tension from page one with this. Fantastic. Fantastic. And if people want to find out more about you as an author, where, where should they go online? Uh, so my website um, is abigailosborne.co.uk and I have a newsletter sign up on there if anybody um, uh, wants to sign up to that. I also give away a free copy of one of my books on ebook every month to one of my subscribers. Um, and then obviously my books are on Amazon if they wanted to look at the books as well. And I'm very pro- present on TikTok if you want some funny laughs, <laughs> some funny videos. There's some funny videos on there that I do. Oh, we'll have to follow you then because we're 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 sort of passively on TikTok, aren't we? We are a bit, yeah. I did. I, I like did, it. I had a bit of a flurry about a year ago, but yeah, and I can get quite addicted to watching it. Yeah, I think it's just like with TikTok, you can just be yourself, and whereas with Instagram, you have to have a nice picture, and I'm not very good at pictures, and I can't think of anything nice to take. Whereas with TikTok, you can just be you, do random things, and it's really good fun. Top tip for you: everybody on TikTok loves food, so my best videos are the ones where I've gone for every 500 words I write, I get one of these, and then I pan the the camera to some Viennese worlds. And that video <laughs> went nuts. Everybody loved it. So that's the top tip for you if you're using TikTok. <laughs> Food is the way to people's heart. <laughs> Fabulous. Well, it always has been, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Fabulous. It is, well, yeah. That, you know, that's a great takeaway uh, for for everybody. And uh, Abby, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've really enjoyed it. Thank you so I've much. I've really for enjoyed us. it too. Thank you for having me.
And it won't surprise you that we got on so well that we spoke to you, Abby, for about 45 <laughs> minutes extra. I know. We just carried on side. talking, we, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We did. We just had so much in common and just that great feeling. And, and I love our interviews for doing that because every time we speak to somebody new that we've not met before, there is that element of building a rapport and, yeah. and, a, and a sense that we've got another kindred spirit in the industry. And we know we're going to meet up with Abby because she'll be at Harrogate. So we're bound to bump into her. And... Yep. And Absolutely. I think actually when we go to Harrogate, by the time Harrogate comes around, because a lot of the people we've spoken to are planning on going there, mm. we could have three tables worth of... Oh, yeah, I can't wait. I mean, it, the, it, the contrast to when we first went to Harrogate and didn't know anybody yeah. and felt like fish out of water and all that sort of thing. Um, what a contrast now. Yeah, so, it'd be completely you know, different. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, equally for those people who felt the same, will be feeling the same way that first Harrogate, we've got to, you know, be embracing, you know, and, and bring people in to the tent, if you like, mm. the, you know, metaphorically and, and, and for real. Um, we're taking a, a little bit of a break from life in the barn. So the cat is going to be well looked after. My Newport Pet Services. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have uh, the kids are currently with their dad. They're actually in London at the moment. Are they? Yeah. And um, so they're there for the week. It's half term. We're off to Sussex to Rye. We have hired a little cottage. So we're going to do coastal walks, pubs and read. Guitar playing. Uh, yes, with a guitar playing and an absolute mass of submissions that we've had over the last two weeks, totaling so far over 40. 42 to be exact we've had 42 yes and uh well, let's see you know douglas adams number isn't it <laughs> indeed <laughs> so we're looking forward to that that'll, that'll be the uh, meaning of life that will be quite a challenge actually because reading that many submissions that's a lot of reading well yes but i th i think we could do it because um we're not reading a whole book we're not reading 42 no. books we're reading the, the first three chapters of these books so i i'm looking forward to it because in our day-to-day -day life, it's hard to get to submissions because of all the distractions and the noise and the, all the other things we have to do. Yeah. The whole point of, of having this holiday is we can focus on these submissions and get a real feel for them. Yes. Rather than yeah, and when, you, when you're impression. out of your normal context, it's much easier to concentrate on something like that, I think. So if you submitted to us, yeah, that's what we'll be doing. We'll be reading your submission. And a matter of just a few hours ago, we made a big, uh, well, a big change. We launched uh, a, an adjunct to Hobeck Books. So Hobeck Books, as you know, publishers of four um, genres of, of particular crime fiction. Yeah. Uh, but alongside that, we do a lot of freelance work, and that's really what pays the bills, keeps the roof over our heads and all that sort of thing. And we've decided that we would create uh, a sort of uh, an adjunct to Hobeck Books called Arch Publishing Service, uh, Publishing Services, I should mm -hmm. say. And so the website went live this morning. We've uh, let everyone know in the Hobeck family that that's what we're doing. And it is basically sort of a, a, an umbrella for that work and hopefully developing more work in that way. So that if you've got a book that needs uh, any type of development work or uh, advice on how to get it published or typeset or uh, book trailers for it the audiobook you name it we do pretty much all of it um, and this is for sort of private clients who want to get their books out for whatever reason so we've done a project recently called uh, transformational selling with two 
guys who are expert world experts in selling from business to business and uh, they had this dream of creating a book and the whole shebang which supports their wider business and we've done that yeah so we we could do as much or as little as required for each particular client who comes to us because some people might they might just want typesetting of yeah. the interior because I, I've joined a lot of um, Facebook groups recently, self-publishing support groups. And that is quite a common theme, actually. People are saying, you know, I've got a designer for my cover and I've got my KDP dashboard ready, but how do I format the book? Yeah. Well, we can do that for you. Yeah. There's so many things we can we can turn our hands to as we've learned through Hobeck and your previous work in publishing and obviously my broadcast background. So lots and lots of things on offer. It's all there on the website. And the website is www.archpub.net. Uh, check it out. Yes, um, do take a look. Do, please. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we're very proud of it. And we're, we're you know, it is, as I say, uh, a way of sort of formally creating an umbrella brackets around the freelance element of our working lives. And um, we use it, we'll use the, the resources obviously to support ourselves but also continue to develop Hobeck books so that's terrific and in terms of Hobeck check out our website www.hobeck.net check out the audiobooks there too we have our own storefront for audiobooks and for our paperbacks as well we would love you to take a good look there read about our authors and uh, all our news and also please follow us on TikTok because I've just posted a very good video of the cat Yes, you have. Yes, it was. It was it, yes, it was a work of creative and comic genius. Um, anyway, we uh, we will continue to fight the good fight, and I'm sure you'll join us uh, regularly here on the Hobcast Book Show. We do appreciate your support. At some point in the near future, we're going to move platforms, um, so you'll still be able to get it where you get it now, but we'll um, use a different provider to provide the overall sort of. Uh, uh, technical support for the web for the uh, for the podcast um you know we, we we think it's it's time to to make a move to something a little bit more advanced uh, anyway more about that at some point in the future i haven't quite got around to doing it but, <laughs> it's on his uh, list it's on my <laughs> list it's on my list as is saying thank you for joining us my name's been adrian hobart and my name is rebecca collins and we'd like to wish you a wonderful and creative week bye bye You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to The Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.